Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. It's not a story that just happened back then. It's a story that is happening right now. That was said by my guest today, Scott Erickson. And if you've ever had an issue with saying yes to the things of life, this conversation may transform your understanding of why we should say yes more often to things if we have the obvious ability to do so. But Scott Erickson is an artist, he's an author, he's a performance speaker and creative curate who mixes autobiography, mythology and aesthetics to create art and moments that speak to our deepest experiences. Using his passion and commitment to craft, Scott has been work a working artist for over a decade now and has had his work appear on CNN, National Geographic, believe it or not, and various other magazines, newspaper outlets and book covers. He's a speaker and Scott brings his training as an educator and his experience as a visual communicator to all his presentations. His goal is to bring something for his ADD brothers and sisters out there, making every speech uh, thoughtful, entertaining, wondrous, and filled with visual elements and live uh, creating pretty much. He is the writer and performer of two One man shows wrestling with his own professional burnout and clinical depression. We are not a troubled guest, as he says, uh, is a performance story telling peace in uh, which he navigates the surprising gift of an existential crisis. And his new book uh, is called Say Yes, Discovering the Surprising Life Beyond the Death of a Dream. It's a it's a brand new book and I highly encourage you guys to get a copy of it. Now, I do have to pre-warn some of you uh, that we do touch on some very heavy topics in this, such as depression, and we do dive into suicide as well. So if these things can be triggering for some of you, I just have to pre-warn you, but don't let that stop you from listening to what Scott and I actually do talk about. It's very real, very personal, and one of my favorite conversations uh, to date. 
because uh, it's touching on things that we should all uh, speak more about, uh, especially in, in the in the world that we are currently living in, where suicide is sadly on the rise. And if we can do something about it, then we should. So my friends, if you do get something from this conversation, and I have no doubt that you will, please share it around to all your friends and family. Let everyone know about this one. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to say yes and journey with me into this story box as we listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other than Scott Erickson. Great. I'm so glad to be here. I'm so glad to have you here, my friend. And thank you so much for writing this book. I know I haven't officially... I read the whole thing. I've skimmed it and it sounds like very much right down my alley. Um, and you, like I said in the, just a moment ago, you dedicated it to Anthony Bourdain, which I think is very interesting. Um, but the very first question I have for you before we dive further into your backstory, why you wrote this book, what this book is about, all that stuff is what does success look like for you? That's a great question. Um, I actually, and sorry, right from the get-go to plug something from the book. It's not plugging. It's just saying like, yeah, I talk about it in the show. Say yes, that this book came out of, I just say, we all have a path of success that we would like to walk down. It's different for each one of us. Um, for some of us, success is judged by what, how much, how many commas are in our bank account by some of us, some of us judge success by how many vacations we have booked for the year. Um, for me, success is, um, and you know, like, and I, and I've, I've worked on what I hope to be like, what is a good success? I, I think for me, success is feeling like, um, I'm doing the work that I, I know I deeply want to do and yet am also present and available to those I love and live my life with, um, as a guy, I can easily, I, I can easily want to just like lean into just like workaholism. Just, I mean, it's exciting to be like, I'm booking a calendar, I'm doing all these things, look how busy I am. And yet, uh, and maybe because of my personality type too, but I'm, I'm a bit of a, like a mystic. I'm a bit of a, like, I do want to stop and smell the flowers. I love doing that. Um, I also want to like, you know, feel and be and enjoy living. And it's probably because I've lost friends at young ages. And um, I just know, I always keep the conversation with my eventual disappearance really close because it, it helps me adjust to, I think, what's important, um, which is being aware that you're here right now. And that I just, I just was at the park with my three-year-old. We did not accomplish very much except some underdoggies on the swing. Uh, we jumped from, you know, stump to stump. I went down a twirly slide three times, um, you know, but <laughs> what, you know, not that exciting, but it was being present with him because uh, this is what happens when you have little kids is you go to the grocery store and uh, older adults will come up to you and be like, this is a great age. It goes by so fast. You're like, thanks. I'm really busy right now. But like then after like a hundred times that happened, you're like, maybe this is a great age and maybe it goes by so fast. Maybe, maybe I should pay attention. And so that, that to me is um, what I, what I would deem success is kind of like, I'm here for what's here. And yet I am still pursuing the deep dream that's in me. <coughs> Excuse me. Woo. There's right there. Bless you, my friend. Bless you. <laughs> it's, it's kind of almost like as you're, as you're talking about that, uh, what was going through my brain is it kind of feels like we try our best to live in the present moment, but it goes like that. Like it's so, so quick. And if we 
aren't careful, we can miss the most important moments in our life. Yeah. I think a lot of the time success for a lot of people is that we miss we we miss those good moments in our life because we are chasing after this false sense of real success. And I've noticed that in my own life, man, but you said something interesting there that I want to sort of hone in on in that doing the work that you want to do and, and you love to do and being with your family. And, and I guess that's not something that everyone can actually do in, in their own life. Like it is hard to say, do your passion and get paid to do it. But have you found that to be a struggle for you being able to make a career out of the things that you love to do and what have been some of the challenges surrounding that? Yeah. Well, I think I do think, um, and let's, let's walk. I know we have to be careful of generalizations because I know that certain people, um, find themselves in a certain place in the world. That's incredibly difficult. Certain people are incarnate in certain kinds of bodies that, uh, have their own abilities and, and inabilities. And so I'm, I want to be, um, uh, sensitive to that. I, I do, though, think that when when we say I can't possibly ever do that, it's because we've either not allowed ourselves the idea that everything is a learned skill and that we can grow in something. And we have too limited of a timeline to say, well, I, I won't be able to do that in six months. And it's like, well, but if you dedicated yourself for 15 years like I have, <laughs> would you get could you get somewhere? You know, so it, I do think it's like the deeper thing is like, well. Uh, what is the thing you want to do? Um, often, I think we see in other people will go, oh, I wish I was like that. And what we're saying is like, I want to be like them, but I haven't seen the backstory that made them that way. I haven't seen the dedication. You know, Beyonce is Beyonce is because she works incredibly hard. Um, and she has since she was like a teenager. And there's and probably some other really like awful things we don't know about, about like, you know, people... It, pressuring her or whatever there's always a when i see somebody who looks like they have it all i'm like there's some kind of cost that we're not seeing i think that's also the the thing there's too but that that's that could be a whole other thing about celebrity and stuff that we could talk about but i i do think that like for me uh i recognized when i was in my late 20s i was a high school teacher and i just felt this deep desire I was like if i don't try to be an artist whatever that means i'll always regret it and so i then stopped teaching, waited tables, began pursuing an art career, have mostly been poor. <laughs> I've mostly had a thrifty existence. Uh, but then in the last like five or six years, you know, there was like 10, 12 years of, uh, of kind of forming my visual vocabulary and the work I do. And now I'm at a spot where I'm like, I constantly like, I'd like to go there. I would like to move into this and go, okay, well, that is a learned skill. Like everything is a learned skill. So how can I start, you know, push like aligning my life towards that and taking the small steps to that. And I think you can do that with anything. Now, if you're willing to keep the idea of what it will look like open, I think you can find some success. If you're like hard, like it's got to look exactly this way, then that might be really hard to accomplish. But if you could go, I see, like for me, I, I hate the question when people are like, where do you want to be in five years? <laughs> I mean, I think it's a good question as in like, what's the trajectory you'd like to be pointed towards, but I have never, you know, you don't know what kind of phone call or email along the way will change, but I, you can go, I would like to have this kind of rhythm. I would have like to be dedicated to this practice in five years. And I, and I would like to start now. And I would like to continue that, 
and hope to be doing that. So that's, I, I have let go of like hard concrete goals as much as um, this is the way I would like to point myself and, and see what, what comes out of it. Yeah. I think it's definitely okay to make a plan, mm-hmm. uh, but also be mindful that things may come your way that you least expect to actually come. And it's about pivoting. It's about being flexible to that. And it's about adapting to the change in the best way that you possibly can and not allowing yourself to get stuck. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, for, for people that are sort of, I guess the question that I want to ask you at the moment is, did you have like dreams as, as a kid growing up and, and even as a young adult, some things that you actually wanted to achieve? Um, it, yes, but I never got to, I mean, I still could become Indiana Jones, but it hasn't happened yet. I do have the hat. I do have a leather jacket. <laughs> um, I probably have a whip somewhere, but yes, I don't, I, uh, it hasn't happened. Um, I, I think maybe I'm different. I mean, I saw, and what, that is really funny. I have, look, I have a Lego Indiana Jones right here on my desk. Uh, he, in my middle, my first son's middle name is Indiana. And my last son's name's Jones. That was kind of on accident, but uh, he was always my hero because what was he doing in those movies? He was um, uncovering a mystery, uh, going on an adventure, um, fighting evil in, in a way, uh, trying to, you know, and, and those I would say are elements of like what I'm hoping to do. I don't necessarily want to be violent and shoot people, but, um, even Nazis, but I, I just think like, uh, there are those core ingredients that pointed to it. Um, for me, it more happened when I was like my last year in high school, I had this moment where, um, I was, uh, I was definitely like a, one of the most like creative oriented kids in my, in my class, I was working on the, the homecoming posters, like a big poster for a big game. And, uh, this girl I really liked and her boyfriend came in and into the art room and we talked and they left. And I just remember like kind of having this prayer to God or the, you know, it wasn't even like real specific. I was just like, why am I the way that I am? Meaning why am I not the person that this girl wanted to be with? Um, the guy she was with was like a super sporty sport guy and he was the nicest guy. So you couldn't hate him. He was real great. And they in fact got married and had kids. So I'm glad they worked out. But I remember having this response, which was like, well, if you could change and trade, would you, you couldn't be yourself and be more sporty. You just had to trade giftings, abilities. Uh, and would you want to do that? And I didn't even have to think about it. I was like, no, I would never give up what I have. And it, that was kind of one of my first moments where I was like, oh, there's something already in me that I need to pay attention to. And then that led to university and even where I, where I was an education and art major. But then even after university, I was at this uh, after like this like Bible school in Europe because I wanted to study the Bible. And, but even then I would go down in the basement and I would make art. There was no art classes, but I would find, I needed to do creative expression and I think it was at that spot about 24, 25, I was like, there's some, like, this is something I have to start dedicating myself to. Cause I'm like post school by this point, you know, I'm like, I don't take a class. It's like, do you want to do this or not? And, and then when I came home, I started, I, I carved a little spot out and I just started like dedicating time in my week to, to a practice, you know, to a, I would say even to like a conversation and, and that has continued to be that. So um, I, I think there's like about 
deciding what you want to do, but a lot of that can be your own ego and desire for love through fame and accept, you know, whatever. I think there's also a part that you got to go, what is, what is, what, like Parker Palmer, who's this Quaker writer, he says, let your life speak. He's like, not necessarily pick a virtue and go for that, but he's like, let your life tell you what it wants to be. And uh, that I think is what you, we must spend time paying attention to is like, what is already in there? If I, I know you in the flow of conversation, I have one more thing I could add to that which is what, how I pay attention to what's already in there is, uh, and this is towards the end of the book, I, I give an example of this, but I have a bit of a death practice, which is just simply keeping that conversation um, of that eventually I will die, I will cease to be here one day. Everybody always has ceased to be here one day. And that might be a little morbid for some, but what it does is like, if you've ever had like a car accident or gone into like a scary surgery, um, that conversation with that eventual disappearance adjusts your life. You all of a sudden, like I almost drowned surfing one time. And when I got out of the water, I wasn't like, well, I got to do more push-ups so I can handle those waves. I was like, I got to rethink everything about my life because what happened is like, I almost, I like was like, oh, I'm going to die in this moment. And when I got, and then when I did it, I was like, I have to that really adjusted how I thought I was spending my time. So I keep a small yet non-drowning death practice pretty common just to keep me in line. I would say what happens in, in when I do that death practice is what happens is um, what comes up is this like inner compass. So for example, if I'm emailed about some creative project and I'm interested in doing it, but I know by doing that, I would have to say no to a bunch of other things. It's maybe a bit too much pressure to put on a creative project, but I will go, well, if I, if this is the last, if I died in three months and this is the last thing I did, would I be okay with that? And that's maybe a little too much pressure, but what happens if I go, no, I would hate it. I would hate if that was the last thing I would do. Then I would go, well, why? Well, because I wish I would have done this. And then, then it's like, well, why aren't you doing that? Because that is the thing that's deepest in you. And that, and that, that's when I'm like this inner compass comes up and it's like, I got to pay attention to that. So I, I do that periodically to just go, what is the deepest thing in me? And I would say, I would trust, I, I actually would say, and what I trust is that that is somehow the voice of the divine within me. St. Ignatius said the way that God speaks to us, the loudest about our calling vocation and purpose in life is through our deepest desires. And that takes discernment, but, that's that's how I've come to trust that that spirit voice in me. Yeah. I've always said, and I love everything you just said there, but I've always said that there's nothing like a near-death experience to sort of give you a renewed perspective on your own mortality and your own real yeah. life because you do start really thinking quite heavily about the things you are doing in your life. And I've had, I think, around four near-death experiences, one that I kind of brought on myself, which I'm sure we'll get into later on. Yeah. But, the other three, they weren't brought on by me. They were kind of like God allowed them to be a part of my story and, and my life. And, but he's also used them to help me see the world in a very different way each time. I mean, the first one was when I was two years, two years old. And then the other ones were sort of more later on, but it does give you that sort of unbody like thought process around, Hey, I'm alive here, but there's more 
to life now and there's what am I doing with my life, that sort of thing. Yeah. But I've always been curious at the same time with thinking about that. If we are thinking that way too much, can it be a disservice to us at the same time? Um, thinking about death too much? Yeah, thinking about death and our own, I guess, mortality rate. And not, not, do you think that we can miss being present or does that help us be more present? Um, sure. I mean, I think you could get a, like maybe you become goth or something like that. I mean, the, <laughs> and they can become too obsessed. The, if you, the cover of the book is flowers coming out of a coffin. Yeah. And what I, in, in, I use this illustration in there, which is like at a funeral, um, we throw flowers into a coffin. Mm. Um, and nobody really knows where that tradition comes from. Some, some people say it's like, we're offering life to somebody who's going into an afterlife. But also uh, some writers and stuff believe that it's it's trying to say what's insayable by just like the thing when we lack words, it's just like, here's my offering to you and thank you for your life. I show, I take that and flip it and have the, like I'm saying, when you actually have a conversation with your mortality and, it, and not even just like the end of your life, but the fact that you are alive, what are you gonna do we all like we all know life is a miracle like we've all been told it's a miracle and there are stats and mathematics to support that but what do we do when it feels like the miracle sucks sometimes and if there's a giver of that miracle has the giver of that miracle said anything about the suckiness and that was what the book is trying to talk about i would say that having a good healthy death practice informs how to have a a a a boisterous life like it like so the by having this conversation like uh in the show that this whole book came out of i show all this uh footage of people throwing flowers in a coffin and then i at the end i reverse the footage and then the flowers are coming out of the coffin into people's hands and my what i'm saying there is like by you actually having this conversation about why you're here and what you can do with this that's the best thing you can offer everybody else because then you're getting in touch with like what makes you come alive. And I think and it's an old uh, Thurgood Marshall. Is it Thurgood Marshall? Oh, I'm always bad with quotes. But he says like, don't try to think about what the world needs, but think about what makes you come alive because what the world needs is people who've come alive. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think the best thing you can do is help foster that flame of life in you. That's the best thing you can give to people. For me, it has been having like a simple death practice because it just keeps me in line with like the gift and miracle of life. That's, that's so if your if obsession with death is taking you out of life and making you morbid and sad, then I would say, go get some ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> go get some life in your life. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, ice cream would be a good, good option there. <laughs> yeah. um, but the, the idea of having a death practice, I think is, unique uh for me at least that is yeah. um and for maybe the people that are listening to this which i think is it is important um because it does give you that sense of of groundingness uh and and i guess in a sense humility at the same time right mm -hmm. yeah uh, but what i'm interested in is when in your life uh scott when you least expected god to show up in a big way that he did and it kind of challenged your perspective of who he is <laughs> I 
<laughs> I mean, it happened today. Uh, um, well, I, I actually talk about this st story in uh, my book. That's an Advent meditation, a Honest Advent. I had, I'm in my mid 40s now. Uh, when I was in my late 30s, I had been laid off from this design agency in Portland, Oregon, um, and was the breadwinner for a family of four. And just I, uh, I pursued another job and it didn't work out. And I, I hit like the lowest moment probably so far in my life. I just, I, I don't know, you know, throughout our lives, we have plans and ideas and options. And I really got to the end where I was like, I, I literally don't know what to do. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do right now. And there's all this weight on me. Um, I did get this little creative job for a friend who was like a YouTuber. So I was at Home Depot, which is like a hardware store. And um, I was standing in the aisle, like looking at wood screws. And I ran into this guy, Cameron, I know. Cameron uh, has a beard, long hair. He's a carpenter and runs a small little home church. He's sneakily uh, messianic. Um, he, we started chatting and, uh, he was like, how's your week? And I was like, oh, my week's been awful actually. And I told him what had been happening. And he goes, I feel like God wants to say something to you, you know, and I'm, and I say, I'm like, look, I'm all up for the mystery of life. But when people are like, I got a word from God, I'm like, maybe it's just your own projection, you know, like let's discern the spirits here. And, but I was like, yeah, I'll hear it. And he goes, um, he said, uh, you know, God sees where you're at and knows it's really painful. And then um, I didn't give this backstory to this, but he said, basically like I was, what I was doing, this other job didn't work out, but I was restoring a broken relationship with this former uh, employer of mine. And he said, God says that you've been, a, you've been obedient and doing that restoration, even though, even though you're not going to work there. And that was real intimate and um, detailed And it. And I, and I broke down and I, cried in the Home Depot aisle. And, uh, and then I, I was like, that was great. Thank you. I was like, what, what are you here for? And he, and he's like, nothing. I just was driving by with my wife and I've sensed the spirit to tell me to come in here. And I've just been waiting here for like 15 minutes. <laughs> and he walked out with me. I said hi to his wife and on my way home, I, I just was like, okay, my biggest question was like, do you, I, here's what I would say, take it out of my own story. I don't think our biggest question is, is God real or not? I think our biggest question is more, is God real in all of this? Like my life, your life, the life you find yourself in. And the answer in that moment was like, God was aware of what I was, where I was at. But but I didn't get like a heavenly fact sheet or text that was like, here's the next steps to do for your life, you know? And because if I would have got that, I would have just said, thanks. I, and taken the piece of paper and be like, I got it from here and never checked in again. Cause I think God wants to keep us close. So what happened in that moment is this question came up that I, I actually have it on my wall here in my studio, which is a really helpful question. It's in the book too, which is, um, what is the only conversation I can have by being in this moment? What this, this weird, painful, miraculous, whatever moment you find yourself in, what is the only conversation you can have by being there? And as I got silent with that moment, a deeper question came up, which was, am I still called to be an artist? Like, not just as like a vote, 
like as a person, but as a vocation. Um, Cause I had stopped kind of full-time art making. I just, I was working at a creative agency or I was a creative, I was doing creative jobs at companies. And uh, the answer was, yeah. And, uh, and then there was some like next steps, but the deeper question I needed to get to in them, like, so the giver of my life was like, Hey, I'm aware of what you need, but what you need right now is to reconnect with like your original calling. And that, and that was the deeper thing. I think we often have a surface survival question about God. I think the divine is maybe working at something deeper. And so how often the places, instead of going, well, when I start, I don't know, you know, I don't want to say feel better, but like, when everything works out, then I'll, I'll know what to do, but it's like, maybe it's the tension and the pressure and the mystery and the unknownness is allowing a deeper conversation about your life. That's kind of the premise of the book is like the surprising life beyond the death of a dream. It's like what happened when a certain idea of how your life was supposed to be doesn't turn out that way. Yeah. Is there life on the other side of that? Is, is the giver of your life on the other side of that? Could the giver of your life use this moment to help you get to a deeper conversation about what is possible in your life? And that, and I think the answer is yes. Um, yeah, I think that's what's going on. Your life is like what you talk about in the book, filled with endless possibilities. Yeah. And just because like, for example, I thought that I was going to be a filmmaker. I thought I was going to be like the next Spielberg. And yeah. so that was going to be like my career trajectory, right? Like that was what I was gunning for. And then when that didn't happen, I felt like my life was over. I felt like I was not moving in the direct the direction that I wanted to be in. And so yeah. that made me miserable, depressed, yeah. anxious, all, all these things. And what I was really missing was where God was actually leading me into it. Now it took a long time for me to get sure. to this place but he was still leading and guiding me. And, and along the way, I was learning so much about myself, about life, about people. I was gaining all these experiences and I had no idea that it was all going to be useful. <laughs> I just complained and became disgruntled because I, I thought that my dream was just completely over. And it's yeah. not really like that. It's just, there's so much more, if you choose to see it that way, there's so many more amazing possibilities that do come in your life. So, yeah. I guess my question to you would be being able to say yes to all those possibilities is no easy thing to do for a lot of people, including myself in this equation. Yeah. How yeah. do we become better at saying yes to, okay, whatever possibility or whatever thing comes my way, good or bad, I'm going to embrace it into my life. Yeah. Um, well, I would, the, uh, the book, which is a culmination of just kind of my lived experience is that I have these simple practices that I do. Um, practices, meaning they're, they're narrative practices. They're things I tell myself, they're reframing tools. Um, and they're helpful for me because my, you know, dumb monkey brain while every day comes to me and be like, well, you're not, you should have look at them. It, you know, it leads me to comparison. It tells me a narrative about where I think I'm going. It thinks that I'm too late. Um, it's all of these things that want to, that's trying to prevent me in some ways. It's like trying to safeguard me from the risk of trying. Imposter but, so syndrome I, too. Yeah. Imposter syndrome and all that. So I have these simple things that help kind of just bypass that. And that's what this book is about. But I would say is like the biggest, you know, without, uh, without my publisher being mad about telling you all what the book is about. I mean, here's, here's the, here's the key ingredient. 
what it what it what the death of a dream is is it's a dream is a version of yourself that has no vulnerabilities mm. and and uh, a dream when you imagine a dream scenario you never imagine yourself with any weaknesses you never imagine that when you finish a marathon that you would have needed to take eight months of physical therapy because your knees don't work great. You never imagine when you started your own business that it actually, you had to get a loan from somebody to front the capital. And now you have an awkward relationship with this person who invested in your company. Like real life has these kind of weaknesses, limitations. Vulnerability isn't necessarily those things. It's more of our relationship with that. And so how do you feel about having those vulnerabilities? And I actually think that the way forward, when the when a you know the death of a dream isn't like I never became the ice skater or I never became the filmmaker, it's like yeah you never became the version of yourself that you invented by comparing yourself to Steven Spielberg, but so it's like that didn't happen because you're you, Jay. So what? Uh, so now you the way forward is to own those vulnerabilities, that relationship to your weaknesses and go, maybe these are the ways that I can uniquely be a contribution that I can, uh, that I can grow that, you know, some people do peak. Well, I don't know if Steven peaked early, but you know, like in his story, uh, you know, it was an incredible small group of people who were making movies. Like you had to go to at the time, uh, you know, it pitched jump in here at the time you went to film school because they had all the equipment. You basically paid somebody to use their equipment so you can make your own movie. Now, shoot, we can make movies on our phones. Everybody can make a movie. So now we live in this time when everybody is making a movie in a way. So it's, so it's awesome that, uh, there's, I guess, less of this pipeline, um, and more opportunity, but it just means that there's way more competition. So then we come down to, I'm sorry, I'm just using you as an example, but just like <laughs> you and just be like, well, what, what's the transformational journey you want to go on, Yeah, you know, and be, and go, well, do you, you know, and then do I have a story to tell? Is there something I'd like to explore? Is there something I want to say and get into that, you know, and, and then all of a sudden, like, as if we can kind of just let those things go, we can get to what we really want. I, uh, I, when I went to college, um, when I went to college, I was basically told that as an artist, um, if you, if you want to make it as an artist in the world, you need to end up in these galleries, like the MoMA, the Tate, the Guggenheim. And, the, and this, I only unpacked this like this year. And I realized I was like, in an, they didn't say this out loud, but they were like, and if you want to make it, you can never talk about Jesus in a positive way. You can be snarky about it. You can be sarcastic about it. You can want to tear the whole thing down. You can be crass and obtuse about it. Uh, we can look at old art and go, oh, look, there's some things, but you can't do it now. And I actually had, I had this moment a few years ago, kind of one of a, my last real moment of obscurity where I just had to like, I ended up just taking myself out of that competition. I just said, you know what? I want to talk about faith in a vibrant way. I want to talk about it in the way I want to talk about it. I want to make the imagery I want to make. And maybe nobody will get it. And I just, I just, and I just, I think I actually, I had like a day where I was really sad. I think I poured myself some whiskey and just cheers myself. And I was just like, I just, and I just said, took, I took myself out of the competition. And I just said, oh, I probably won't be celebrated. That's okay. And then the next day I was like, okay, what do you want to do? And then I went, 
And I was like, this is the work I want to do. So it wasn't until I got to experience that death of like, here's your, here's the dream scenario that I was able to embrace what I actually wanted to do. Yeah. And, and as I've put six years into that, it's led me to be on your fine podcast, mm-hmm. you know, like, and to know my work or, you know, these things and stuff. It's so we have to give ourselves some time, but I think the real tapping into is just like, there's this thing that you really want to do. Can you bypass all of like, well, it should have been, it should have been and get to that first and then start, start walking mm. little steps every day. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a whole other thing. Like just the, the daily contribution you can do. Yeah. Those little, little steps lead to bigger steps later on. And those bigger steps yeah. lead to giant leaps and you never know where any of those steps can lead. Sometimes you can yeah. plan, like we were saying before, you can plan, they go here, but sometimes there's adjustment. <laughs> they go here. You just, yeah. just enjoy the the ride. I say like life is like a living roller coaster ride. So strap yourself in. It's going to be one hell of a bumpy ride, but it's going to be one mm-hmm. hell of a great ride at the same time. So yeah. just relax, enjoy it. Um, yes. we get so uptight and we, yeah, we just put ourselves in an early grave pretty much from stressing too much over things that we shouldn't really be stressing over. And I'm just kind of speaking to myself in that respect right now. <laughs> Cause I'm, I'm still, I'm 25 and it kind of feels like I've got the weight of the world on my shoulders. Like I want to do X, Y, and Z in a particular yeah. amount of time. And that's just, it's just stopping me. And I know it's probably stopping a lot of people from achieving great things and being happy at the same time. So absolutely. One of the things that I keep in mind, I'm trying to find the page it's in the book. Uh, it's a picture of a, uh, a car going on a a road trip. It, uh, it's just like, if you had, okay, if you were going to go on a road trip and you knew you weren't going to be able to get to the destination, how would that affect the road trip you would go on? Mm -hmm. Well, you'd probably choose a road trip where the trip the, like the journey getting there was just as enjoyable as the destination. And that's how I think of, that's how I begin to think about like the things I want to do. So, um, for example, I have this live show that I'm, you know, trying as much as I can to take everywhere as possible, but there's some definite, like, I really want to, and I haven't shared this with a lot of people publicly, but my goal is like, I want to perform at the fringe festival in Edinburgh, Scotland. It's like the big, one of the biggest, theater festivals in the world. And there's a, I was like, I want to go that direction. So in that, I I have, I have it written like right here on a piece of yellow paper. I want to go to the fringe festival. (laughs) This is sitting right there. So, because I need to tap in that I want something or something that I want, but I, I go, that may not happen, but that sounds like a really fun and interesting journey to go towards. And then, and then it's like, so maybe it won't end at Fringe Festival, but I have no other de- other ideas where it might lead to. What would it look like to start putting myself on that pathway? That sounds like a fun journey to go on. You know what doesn't sound like a fun journey to go on? Become an accountant. That doesn't sound like a fun journey for me. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not setting myself on that journey. Although, you know, I have to know how to do my taxes. But uh, that I think about it that way. It's just like, what? What maybe you want to get to the destination, but what sounds like the funnest road trip you could go on, set yourself on, start heading that direction and see what happens. Mm. Yeah. That's it, man. 
I just, yeah. um, I turned to page, I think it was 151 in your book and it kind of made me laugh a little bit. You, you got the illustration of, of the dinosaur and I think it's you or a character on the toilet and then underneath you've got, this happened to me one time. And then yeah. the dinosaur's like, dying is better than living. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's great. <laughs> uh, it's Yeah. And then it kind of leads into the, the next chapter, chapter 16, which kind of, I, I do want to mention this heavy nature uh, because I think yeah. it is important. And I've been here uh, more recently in 2019 where I attempted to end my life. And I know suicide or the, the whole idea around it not a lot of people want to talk about it because it is a hard thing to actually discuss um yeah. which i think kind of does need to change we need to have a conversation around it because it is important to talk about so i wanted to ask you about why is it that especially christians why is it that we have such a negative viewpoint on the idea of someone wanting to commit suicide or, or really suicide as a whole you ready? You ready for this answer? I'm people don't, ready. People don't like this answer. It's because uh, the Christian, the, we're not talking about like Christ. We're talking about like Christianity, a system, religion built around these teachings, but mostly, you know, power and, and stuff. Um, why Christianity feels uncomfortable talking about suicide is because suicide confronts the product based pitch that it relies on to function. The product-based pitch is this, um, you have this problem in your life, and if you get Jesus in there, it will solve that problem. Mm. Um, that's not true. I've had Jesus in my heart, and I still wanted my heart to stop. Um, Jesus was not the solving of my uh, problematic viewpoint or perspective or conclusion about living. Um, I will say like, well, I'm still here. So maybe that was part of it. You know, like I, you know, I'm not, but Jesus isn't a product. We don't believe in God because God is the product to the problem, to the solution to the problem that we have. Hmm. Um, with that said, uh, so that's why Christianity doesn't like to talk about it. Cause it confront, cause they don't, it's like, well, Jesus, the answer. And it's like that. No, it's not true. Um, uh, in a roundabout way, like love and therapy and healing is the answer. Um, those are deeper things there. I would say, um, what I wanted to do with the show. And then this book is one of the muse. And I talk about right at the beginning, I was like, I wanted to make a church service about suicide because I've never been to one. Mm -hmm. And I knew, you know, a lot of when adults make ceremonies, they're often really boring. And I was like, I can't have a church service about suicide be so boring that you'd want to kill yourself during it. You know, like I'm so bored to death and that, and that joke right there was kind of what informed, like I knew I needed to make something that was much more of like a comedy and an art show and a weird journey. And, um, uh, but I think that, um, you're, here's the thing. I think the deeper question is like, um, okay. So what is that confronting Christianity? Because, uh, I don't know have you ever in those listening, have you ever had somebody die close to you? Uh, like, uh, I remember my friend, uh, this kid who was in my youth group, I was actually his youth leader and he died in a really tragic way. And the, the people around me at church said the weirdest and worst things like God just wanted another angel and just stuff like that. And I was like, go tell that to his mom. Cause I bet she's just like, screw you, God. Like, if that's true, you know, there's just, it's like, we almost don't know what to do with the fact that we're fragile 
from my own conversation with suicide, because I have I have been there too. And I I just lost a friend in the spring to suicide. Um, from what I understand is that like suicide is um, we're trying to deal with a pain that we feel like we have no control over. And whether or not I or you or anybody wants to be here is like our ultimate control always. And what I actually found in my conversation with suicide is I found a lot of religious escapism was the exact same thing. I think communities that are obsessed with end times and how Christ is going to come back and stuff is exactly, it's like, it's like religion, it's like life suicide. What they're saying is like, uh, I don't like here and I want to get out of here. Suicide is the same conversation. I don't like where I'm at and I want some kind of change. I want something to end and I want something new to come about. Um, and I actually think that if I look deeper into my Christian tradition and, and, um, I see this kind of like, yeah, there needs to be some kind of death. So some kind of resurrection. That's why the last practice is saying I'm a resurrection, which is like, we probably have to go through some kind of death. I would submit to you that I don't think it has to be your ultimate death, because I think that is severely damaging to the people who love and know you. Even if you don't think there is anybody, there is always somebody. Um, because I've, I'm on the other side of that and it's really painful for I wish, you know, my, well, I was talking to my friend, Kurt, when our friend Charlie killed herself and we were like, you know, Charlie had a conversation where that she didn't let any of his in on that's, um, uh, like I, I just was talking to a community up in Montana, which is like a state up North in the United States. And this woman was just like, we've had a string of like teenagers kill themselves. And she's like, the church has been wildly unhelpful because like they're, they're trying, like, she's like, we had this gathering and this pastor came in and before we started, he just went around to every teen and was like, I just want to let you know, you matter. I just want to let you know, you matter. And she's like, to him, it feels like he's caring, but to these teens, they're like, oh yeah, what's my name? You don't know me. You're just somebody else saying, you know me. And, uh, the, the solution to suicide isn't saying, I'm not saying it's not saying you matter. The solution to suicide is saying you're not the only one who's ever thought this. It's solidarity. It's to let everybody know it's like, yeah, Joe's felt it too. Stacy's felt it too. Tell us about your pain. Can we give you a space to talk about your pain? You know, and when we can talk about it and have find that we have solidarity and then we can begin to see like, well, maybe there's another narrative I can live into. Maybe, maybe what needs to die is this way that I've been doing everything. And I need to know that there's like some other way to do it. Um, maybe my framework about, you know, like often what we're saying is it's not, I think suicide is a lot. Like I don't necessarily want to like stop living. I just want to stop living the life I'm living because I hate it. And I don't, and I don't know how to get out of it. Yeah. And uh, those are complex. And that's for one, it sucks being in that spot. It really does. And it sucks to feel like you don't have any way out of it um, besides taking your own life. But there are ways. Um, they're incredible. They might be incredibly difficult because they have to do with family and where you're at and cultures and stuff like that. But there are ways. Um, and there are other people on the other side of suicide who can let you know that like things can change. So, uh, but yeah, I, I really, I wanted to, at least for me, 
Why, you know, you said I dedicated this to Anthony Bourdain and I did. And then I, I changed it at the last minute. So it's not in the final because I was like, oh man, I don't know if I want, he's a complicated guy. And I didn't necessarily want to dedicate the whole book to him. Although there's a, a, a couple pages on him. Um, but I remember I was starting to work on this material. And then I remember the, I, I was in, I was at this conference speaking about this stuff. And then I found out Anthony Bourdain killed himself. And it really confronted me because I was like, I don't want to be a celebrity chef, but I was like, he embodied a lot of what I hope to get to. Like he was a maker and he was unabashedly himself. And that led to fame and success and money and travel. And I hope that happens for me. But I was like, and I don't know who he was or what he was thinking, but from my vantage point, he still said, even with all of this, I don't want to be myself. I don't want to be in my life. And I was confronted with like, well, why do you think it would fix all of that for you? <laughs> and he was like, it, it won't. So there has to be a deeper conversation and foundation building and spiritual practice and centering. Um, because I do want to unabashedly be myself. And I do hope my work leads to, you know, at least uh, breadwinning and knownness and opportunities you know i don't necessarily want to be a celebrity but uh it's nice when people want you to buy your stuff you know i don't know you know I mean, <laughs> that's a good business plan uh but i needed to that but that's not going to fill the lack in me and i and i think there was a deeper spiritual conversation about this um i think we all have to come to terms with or at least have the conversation just like why am i here i didn't get to choose to be here i just appeared you appeared and then eventually I will just disappear without my permission. Yeah. And we have to, we have to accept that that's the way that it is. Um, and I think that there's a, I think that there's a, a deep and loving and um, man, it's almost like language. I stopped finding. I, I just, I just think that that is where the core of at least the journey I'm on with my conversation with God is, 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 is accepting what it means to be a human and all the complexities and obscurities of that, but also go, but this is the place that I meet with God. And this is the place that I can co-create in the world. And um, so in fact, maybe my conversation with dying and the possibility of dying enhances my depth of living. And that's what I found to be true. So yeah. um, I'm sad. I want religion. I want Christianity to be able to have a better, a better conversation with it. Mm. Um, Cause I feel like it's too, scared of it or focused on escapism or like everybody ever has died. I remember talking with some pastor friends of mine. I was like, shouldn't church be like the place where we're talking about how to die? Well, like, uh, except it's because, you know, I know you guys spend a lot of time going to funerals <clears throat> and performing funerals, but like, do we ever, like everybody ever dies. I don't know why we're spending all this time thinking like, well, Jesus might come back in my lifetime because there's 2000 years of, of cemeteries to let you know that that's <laughs> maybe not going to happen in your lifetime. Uh, anyways, any thoughts on that? What do you think? I've had so many thoughts on that. I yeah. like how you were talking about how a lot of Christians, they, they say, Oh, you just need Jesus in your life and you'll be fine. Yeah. But I think that Jesus is part of the solution. Agreed. And there's other, cause it's like saying, Hey, you're a Christian, so therefore you don't struggle with any mental health issues. That's not the case at all. You can go to Christ at any time and ask him for help. 
with your mental health and he will, but you've also got like, if you experienced real trauma that has led to you thinking that you actually are worthless and you have no purpose or no meaning on this earth, which has happened to me and your experiences all align up with the fact that you just don't want to be alive anymore. So for me, I walked away from God. I didn't want anything to do with him in 2019 because my life was just absolute hell and I blamed him for everything. So for me wanting to kill myself, as hard as it is for me to actually admit, and I, I didn't want to admit it for a long period of time. And it took a lot of vulnerability for me to actually admit it in my first book when I opened up about it. But for me, it was, God wasn't in the equation when I drove 130 kilometers an hour toward the telegraph pole. I wasn't even thinking of him in that moment. All I was thinking about was I'm going to be out of pain. I'm sick and tired of the pain. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what a lot of people feel in that moment. They're not thinking about how am I going to get help? That's like the furthest thing from their mind in that moment. Yeah. They're not even even Christians. They're not thinking about God. They're thinking about doing the act, being out of pain, and then that's it for them. Yeah, yeah. So, but it was interesting because God showed up in that moment for me, mm-hmm. saved my life because I believe that He doesn't want me to go yet. That wasn't His His plan for me for me to just stop my story altogether as much as I wanted to in that moment, he wanted me to live the very best life possible. Yeah. And to show others that you can, even though you are in a dark moment, there is a way out. There is a path out. And here, yeah. let me show you, like, I'm not special by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not famous. You don't have to be. It's just about coming alongside everyone because we all got hurt we all got struggle and you don't know what anyone's going through i'm pretty much pretty sure like with anthony bourdain no not many people he probably wouldn't have admitted to anyone what he was really struggling with yeah and it came as quite a shock even to myself hearing the news back in 2018 it was like damn like another precious soul has ended their life and even some of my friends have done that too yeah. So these are just like some of my thoughts on, on what you were just talking about, but I love how you just explained everything and yeah. kind of tied it all up. And I think you're right. We should talk more about it as Christians and have a, a healthier, if we can have a healthier understanding of it. Cause look, if you are struggling, you're not alone. You're, you do matter in a, in a lot of senses, but absolutely use why you matter. Don't just say, Oh, you matter get to know that person yeah like understand yeah. them and then maybe we can find some healing maybe we can find some i don't know man <laughs> yeah less no, people struggling I, I i agree with you that i do think like jesus is part of the answer what what I, my problem with a lot of church talk is they're just like what they mean is just like we should just say jesus and then you should be done but it's yeah. like no 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 somebody who doesn't want to take their life because they're like and what is Jesus? Like, I would like to ask people like, um, have you ever met him? Oh, you have internally and in spirit, right? I know I have friends who've had visions of him and stuff like that. Jesus is not a physical presence, like not a material presence around us. So when we say Jesus, we mean like somehow the mystery of the Holy Spirit that's been put in people. So we're talking about where we find help is we find it in community, 
Mm. And like the spirit of God working through other people. We, uh, Jesus is the front facing of it is like the material facing of an invisible God who loves us. So when we say, so we have to get down to identity about love often in our culture, we're, we spend most of our lives doing things to earn love. And maybe this is the moment that we can start working from love because we're at the end of all of that. Um, I will also say this, a lot of people in religious places are experiencing trauma. Like, and so for them to go like, Jesus, the answer, it's like, yeah, but this whole system is what's being traumatic towards me. I know these are extreme cases, but it's like, because I'm being molested by this church leader, or I grew up with like real strict parents and, and they're like, the way that they choose to discipline me is by shaming me with religious shame. You know, like, so when you say Jesus is the answer, it's like the narrative of Jesus could be the problem, (laughs) depending on what community like that. There's so many things in there that we have to unpack, Mm -hmm. but I do think like the journey of going, here's the, I think the deeper thing, I think it's actually a deeply spiritual journey to go. Life sucks. Because at that place we go, we can, we can accept that like at least the framework of what we have decided life is. And when, if we're willing to go let that framework die, it can open us up to another way of living. That essentially is what resurrection is. Resurrection is on the other side of death is a new set of eyes. On the other side of death is, a, is resurrected eyes and a different perspective. That is what resurrection is. It's a new way of seeing everything. So sometimes, so like letting somebody go, life sucks and I hate it and I want to die can be like, yeah, let's let that die. But please, you don't have to die because you're valuable to us. So can we be around you as we let this idea of what you think life is supposed to be and let it die so that you can receive the resurrection eyes and a different perspective? If you look at all the great stories, it's all about people who've got, I was like, I thought I was supposed to do this. And then I, you know, my question in the book is like, so something died. What can you do now on the other side of that death? Mm. What are you now free to do? What is the conversation you can only have by being there? You know, now that all these, like I was supposed to do this. Well, it didn't happen. Well, now what, what are you free to do now? You know, those are the questions I'm more interested in. Those are the questions I'm living in right now. Yeah. I'm in my mid forties and I'm like, can I, can I start right now? Dude, I'm, I was like, <laughs> I've just listened to a book from this musician and I was like, I kind of want to start writing songs. Like I kind of want to do like a thing where I like write a bunch of songs that probably won't be good, but they'd be really fun. It's when you're at a stage when you think like, well, I'm supposed to be so professional. It can seem embarrassing, but it's like, but if I had so much joy and I ran through the cycle, we can, this is all longer conversations about, you know, how do you develop things so they don't suck? That's like a whole other conversation about creativity, but it's more of like finding the joy and finding the bliss and all of that. Mm-hmm. It's just like, yeah, on the other side of like your ideas dying can be like all these resurrected possibilities. And I think that's endlessly interesting. Yeah. Totally agree with everything you just said there, man. And thank you so much for writing about this. Someone yeah. finally, finally is writing about it um, from the Christian point of view in, in yeah. that respect. So thank you so much for writing this book. I can't wait to dive further into it. Yeah. Uh, my final question for you, my friend, before we finish this, where do you want people to get this book officially? 
Yeah. Uh, if you just type in like, say yes, Scott, you'll find it. It'll come up on any of the major booksellers. Um, I'm still working on the website and I think it's actually going to be like, say yes, Scott.com. So, uh, yeah, like, but say yes, Scott, and you'll find it. And that's the best place. My website is Scott Erickson art.com. I'm Scott, the painter on all socials and somewhere in there, it'll link to the book, but yeah. I'll make sure everyone knows where to get a copy of this and where to find you, my friend. But my final question for you, this is my all time favorite question, by the way, this has been, I just like noticed the time. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, was I, like, I apologize. Um, but this has been one of those great conversations, my friend really enjoyed yeah. it. But final question for you. This is my all time favorite question. It's a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that all your friends, oh, sorry. Imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for sake of argument, but they've been able to get it and show it to you on your hundredth birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Oh man. Uh, I want it to look, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an emotional and I tend towards sadness. Um, but I, I also have a good time. I hope, uh, I hope there's snippets of like just some real funny moments and just some real heartfelt moments. I mostly want it to be images of being with my friends. That's mostly what I want it to be about. I think, I think friends are the greatest gift in life. Yeah. Community, man. We all need, we all need friends. Say yes, my friends. Say yes and buy this book. <laughs> You're going to love it. Scott Erickson, thank you so much, my friend, for Thanks, your time, your story, your energy, your wisdom, everything that you're doing and putting out there into the world and for joining me today on the Storybox podcast. Thanks, man. It's been a real pleasure. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcast. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the story box. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom. And don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.